Stomberg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. On today's very special episode, we discuss some current tax research being presented at the American Taxation Association mid-year meeting. Every year, hundreds of tax professors from around the globe meet to present and discuss research on a multitude of tax topics. In today's episode, we invite a special guest to help us break down a couple of papers on this year's program that we found particularly interesting and to summarize the current state of tax research. It's going to be a good one. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. We have a very special episode today. Very special and not at all in an afternoon special don't play in abandoned refrigerators sort of way. Abandoned refrigerators? Yeah, never mind. I don't have time to explain. Okay, I'm just going to be grateful for that. So yes, it's a very special episode today. We are together. We are together in St. Louis in February. It's snowy, but I'll take it. It's awesome. It's great. The second reason today's episode is so special is we have our very special guest, Professor Jerry Seidman, joining us today. That's right. Jerry is an associate professor of accounting at the University of Virginia's McIntyre School of Commerce. She received her PhD from MIT. I've heard of them. And started her academic career at the University of Texas at Austin. Hook them. Hook them. She has published extensively in top accounting journals on issues related to corporate tax avoidance and income shifting. She's a true academic, truth seeker, and a stickler for high quality tables in research papers. And in all sincerity, Jerry is the one who coached us through four um, glorious, in- interesting, glorious years, depressing years, glorious years of PhD program at the University of Texas. Jerry, welcome. Thank you for being on the show with us. Oh, thank you guys. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. All right. So Lisa, this episode was your idea. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you hope we can accomplish today. So the first thing I want to do is talk about the massive nerd convention that we all (laughs) flew in to St. Louis to attend. The mid-year meeting of the American Taxation Association is, uh, as you might guess, a a once-a-year gathering of all of your nerdiest tax accounting professors. I imagine we're like a good step up from a Star Wars convention. I don't know. I mean, at least there aren't costumes. They're very different costumes. <laughs> uh, yes. So an annual gathering of, of tax nerds. And uh, we get together to discuss not only the latest and greatest tax research, but also to learn from each other and to learn from practitioners and policymakers what people are talking about, what are the next big questions that we need to be tackling in our research. And it just occurred to me that this is our 10th ATA major meeting. Together. Together. Wow. Got way, way more than 10. (laughs) (laughs) So we have been affectionately referring to this episode as the JADA Roundup. So let's start by explaining what JADA is. (laughs) And once again, B turns and looks to me. (laughs) And she turned and looked at Jerry. JADA is the Journal of the American Taxation Association. So part of the mid-year meeting is the JADA conference. Hence, we have been affectionately referring to this episode as the JADA Roundup. And initially, I was really in love with that name. And then I actually decided to hate it a little bit because since Lisa mentioned it, this is what has been going through my head. 
so many papers in this conference so let's turn the sound up you know what i think it's time for a shadow round up wow. nothing <laughs> all right listeners i have found the two people in america who have not seen encanto or listened oh, to the no. encanto soundtrack no all right all right they're okay. here their names are lisa de simone and jerry Simon. in case anybody is looking to them even have a clue that is my rendition of the family madrigal from encanto lyrics by lin-manuel miranda i think i did a pretty good job i'm pretty sure that's our trailer <laughs> for this episode so yeah Wow, I didn't get that at all. That was the embarrassing thing that I was going to do, so you have nothing to worry about for the rest <laughs> of the episode. I don't even know what that was. It just happens. I'll, I'll play the real version later. Okay, so yes, as Jerry explained, um, one part of the mid-year meeting is the JADA conference. It is a selection of about four. four. This year it was four whole yes. papers related to tax issues, and so we're going to start today by talking about a paper titled, Does Corporate Tax Avoidance Affect Firm Productivity? It is co-authored by Sparadon Gikikopoulos, Konstantinos Stathopoulos, and Edward Lee, all of whom are at the University of Manchester. So I think this is a really important question because we've heard for years from economists and policymakers about declining productivity. And so if we look to pull tax levers to try to increase economic growth, to try to increase productivity, understanding the relation between tax avoidance, tax policies, and productivity is really important. I think it is interesting because the articles that I've seen on this seem to suggest that we have a decline in innovation in the U.S. because people are just too complacent and mm. compensation practices aren't really good at incentivizing productivity and innovation. Um, so I have not yet seen any articles point to the fact that taxes might have something to do with it, mm -hmm. at least in this particular way that these um, that this co-author team thinks about. So, yeah, I agree. I thought it was a pretty innovative idea. So I think it's a really interesting issue as well. And I thought it was especially interesting that this was an international team of co-authors that was tackling it, because I think that as we've become a more global society, that might be impacting you know, productivity, not just in the United States, but productivity worldwide. So And taxes are a big part of global companies' operations. Yeah, yeah. I was excited to see this paper. They find that when tax avoidance increases, mm -hmm. then productivity increases. They, they had a couple of explanations for why this could be the case. One explanation was, you know, as you increase your tax avoidance, you have more cash on hand and you can deploy that cash to increase the firm's productivity. You can invest in technology, you can um, do things that actually turn the dial on productivity. And we have some prior tax research that shows that firms use cash from tax avoidance mm -hmm. to make investments or they do more tax avoidance at times when they are cash constrained. So this kind of fits into that line of literature about tax avoidance as a mechanism to achieve additional internal cash flow. And this seems like a good thing. We hear so many times that companies avoid tax and maybe all of that savings goes to executive compensation or right. to private jets. And so this seems like what good tax policy should be doing, right? If we're giving companies tax breaks and then they're using that savings to reinvest in the business and generate productivity. I mean, that, that sounds positive. Right. I don't think that's a nefarious story, right? The, the tax avoidance that the companies are doing are going back into the economy. That's not a bad thing. No. 
And the authors also posit that if you want to invest in intangible assets or knowledge base, as they call it, there's extra financing frictions because those are not assets that are easily collateralized. Yep. And so those are assets that companies need to have internal cash flows. So the authors posit that cash savings from tax avoidance are especially helpful in industries or firms that want to increase these intangible assets that are otherwise difficult to finance. Um, at these conferences, typically what happens is an author of the paper stands up and presents it, and then another researcher who's not affiliated with that particular paper gives a discussion. And the person who discussed this paper is Shannon Chen also got her PhD at the University of Texas. Yeah, and Shannon had um, a couple of really interesting points, one of which was the author's construct is tax avoidance. So if they're doing more tax avoidance, they're saving more cash, and then they can use this um, to invest in productivity. But one of their tests is using the shock of a change in tax rate. And so is a change in tax rate really the type of tax avoidance that the authors are trying to study? You know, I think that when your taxes go down because the change in tax rate that you didn't have anything to do with, that's not um, what we would generally consider to be tax avoidance behavior. Right. You're not paying less tax because you gave more money to charity that year. You're paying less tax because Uncle Sam is cutting your break. Congress said so. So perhaps a better title of the paper based on that comment could be, does tax policy impact firm productivity? And that would still be a super important question. Agreed. Super interesting. And, and the authors did a great job presenting. The second paper we're going to talk about in our JADA roundup I'm not, I'm not doing it Do again. It. I'm not doing it again. You people didn't appreciate it the first time. So this second paper actually wasn't part of the journals part of the conference, but a super interesting paper from one of our other research sessions. It's titled, Check Your Attitude, an Examination of Companies' Attitude Toward Tax Enforcement. And it's co-authored by Hannah Judd, Sean McGuire, Connie Weaver, and Jingwei Xia, all from Texas A&M University. And I just want to say what a testament it is to how interesting this paper is that three UT-affiliated podcast hosts would dare, dare to discuss a paper co-authored by A&M people on a podcast that's recorded for posterity. Truth. One of the seminal questions in accounting literature is really trying to disentangle tax planning from tax avoidance. And this paper is focusing on another entity that is trying to disentangle that, mm. and that is the tax authority. So this paper is really looking at firms that are doing some sort of tax avoidance and tax planning and their attitude towards tax enforcement and how that attitude shows in their financial statements. It's a really clever setting and a really clever approach that they scour through the financial statements to see when companies signal that they intend to be fairly aggressive in defending their tax positions. So backing up a second, I think we can all agree that it's an awesome title, right? Any check your attitude. Exactly. Any academic paper that's telling you to check your attitude is pretty fantastic. Second, I like this paper because I feel like it's something that everybody can relate to. If the IRS was down breathing down your back about something that you did on your own personal tax return, you might not be super receptive to that. You might cop a little bit of an attitude. You might want to go toe-to-toe with them. But there's going to be a lot of variation in this because my mom would never 
toe to toe with the IRS. Fair point. Like they send her an envelope and she freaks out even before she opens it. Just fills it with money and sends it back. <laughs> she once called me yelling at me. And then when she opened the envelope, it was a survey. <laughs> <laughs> So there is going to be a lot of variation in how companies approach, whether they roll over and say, okay, fine, or if they really vigorously defend. So it's interesting to study. So I love that because I think this is a good time that we can pause and really kind of take a step back because all three of us do corporate tax research. And I think sometimes we get caught up in this notion, not just us, but everybody, but like the corporation is the one making the decisions, Mm -hmm. but it's people, right? It's people who are dealing with the tax authority, people who are writing these financial statement disclosures. So Jerry, I think you're hundred percent right. Just like individuals are going to vary in terms of how upset they want to be, how aggressive, antagonistic, they want to be adversarial is I think the adjective that these authors use with the IRS, that's also going to vary by manager across firm. And it might even vary within firm, depending on which manager gets to make that decision. Absolutely. So what the authors do is look in the tax footnotes of firms to see in the tone when they say, okay, you know, we're under audit and we plan to vigorously defend Mm -hmm. versus just stating we believe that our positions will be upheld or something a little more generic like that. And then how is that viewed by the market Mm -hmm. as well as what are the determinants of those attitudes? So I always love a paper that looks at financial statements and then gives you examples of what they're talking about. You know, Mm -hmm. it it adds credibility to the paper. You know, they're not making it up. You can see what they mean. So as an example of what Jerry was talking about, um, they have a little excerpt here from a company's financial statements where it says currently the company is under audit by the IRS for the years 2015 and 2016. Basically, the IRS has disagreed with some stuff that we did. We disagree with the IRS. We believe their claims are without merit, and we are going to vigorously defend our position, beginning with an attempt to resolve these issues at the appellate level and through litigation, if necessary. Threatening lawyers. And that's probably a pretty effective strike. We've talked about this before. Remind me, does the IRS have a lot of money right now or not a lot of money right Mm, now? I think we Mm. might have said several times they don't have a lot of money. No, I can't keep that straight. Right. Okay. So maybe it is a winning strategy as a taxpayer Mm. to put in writing, in a public document, I'm going to drag your butt to court right. if you mess with me. And what's more, they also indicate in their financial statements, hey, we don't really have that much in our piggy bank to pay you because we're so confident we're not going to have to pay you. If I'm an investor in one of these firms, how do I feel about this? Do I like that they're really standing up to the IRS or does that worry me? I like the question and I think it could go either way, right? Because on the one hand, I might like it because you're publicly saying to the IRS, I'm ready to fight. On the other hand, maybe you're just antagonizing the IRS. So is this something that they looked at? It is. All right. What's the answer? Well, it turns out when you say that you're going to vigorously defend something, but you still put up a really big contingency account in case you don't defend it so well, um, investors aren't so happy. All right. They don't believe you. Cheap talk. Yeah, cheap talk. All right, so market doesn't seem to like this. Maybe the IRS doesn't like it. Who are these firms that are talking smack in their footnotes? So they also study the determinants of being more likely to talk aggressive or with an adversarial tone in your tax footnotes. And they find that larger firms and leaders of their industries and firms in litigious industries 
are all more likely to not check their attitude. <laughs> Talking smack. There are a lot of interesting dynamic effects here that I think could be explored in future work. Not the focus of this paper, but things like if my peer discloses that they're going to be pretty aggressive with a transaction that I'm also engaging mm, in. Yeah. And so I decide, okay, well now I guess I get to be aggressive too, right? We could put up a unified front against the service with respect to that particular transaction that could impact our entire industry. And I think that absolutely happens, right? It's not like every tax director out there is operating in a vacuum. They're talking to each other. They have their own tax yeah. nerd conferences <laughs> that they attend and they're talking to each other and they're saying, hey, how did that go with you with the IRS? And they're learning, you know? So yes, absolutely. If, you know, company Lisa did something and you got audited and I come up to you and ask you how it went and you said, yeah, I was really aggressive and I won. That's going to give me some incentive to be really aggressive because if it worked for you, it might work for me too. And one thing I like about this paper is it builds on Junwei's dissertation. So Junwei is one of the co-authors on this paper. Um, her dissertation, for our loyal listeners out there, you might remember that her dissertation focused on mandatory disclosures that the UK requires firms to make about their attitude with the HMRC. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. So Junwei basically said, okay, we don't have mandated disclosures about attitude in this country, but we have some voluntary disclosures that we can look at. So I think it is a good example of how you can build on your prior work. I think this is a pretty natural and cool extension of her dissertation idea. I'm going to propose that we do something that we've never done before on this podcast. What? Just have a guest introduce this next segment. Oh, wow. Thank you. Are we talking the good, the bad, and the ugly? Is it that time? It's that time. Yay. Okay. So first off is the good. The good of this is that we're all back together. It was so great. Yay. Um, the last time we were all together was right about two years ago, a couple weeks before COVID hit in Fort Worth for another nerd fest. And so it's wonderful to all be back together again. It is. Nerds of the world unite. The bad part about being all back together again is that some of our international colleagues faced too many hurdles to travel to St. Louis. And so many of them fortunately were able to attend virtually, but it would have been lovely to have gotten to see them in person. Some of our other international colleagues who I will not name defied university rules not to travel internationally and yet showed up here and hopefully will get home safely and retain their jobs. People risking it all to attend the tax nerd <laughs> conference. That's right. I love it. Me in St. Louis. <laughs> all right. And as is becoming my trademark on the podcast, <laughs> I will now combine a good and an ugly thing okay. for the last part of this segment. So in a first ever, I think, yeah. at the um, ATA mid-year meeting, we had a very informative panel discussion on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the accounting profession, including within accounting academia. Mm-hmm. Unequivocally a good thing. Amazing. It was, it was really an excellent panel of extremely accomplished uh, accounting researchers um, talking about this issue in, in our field. The ugly part was really just listening to them share a lot of ugly experiences and encounters that they have had, as Mark Dawkins was one of the panelists, called the hard truths. They were hard truths. They were difficult things to hear. And in order to have the business world look like the real world, we need to have academics 
up in the front of classrooms, inspiring and teaching a diverse set of students who will become the next set of business leaders. And so hearing about the challenges, not just in attracting underrepresented minorities into academia, but also retaining and encouraging and supporting them, it was ugly to hear about that and to think about the effects on future business leaders that might not be because they don't see themselves in the front of classrooms and aren't inspired. So one of the good things that Mark Dawkins and Jennifer Joe and uh, Michelle Harding with the other panelists talked about is how much good work some organizations have done. So mm-hmm. they really touted the PhD project, which was started by KPMG. Mm-hmm. And I think at one point they said has tripled the number of uh, people of color in the accounting academia, which is great, but we still do have a long way to go and we still have a lot to learn. To try to put a more positive spin back on this, uh, we do have a long way to go. Uh, It's my hope that maybe in the next couple of future JADA roundups. Not doing it. (laughs) We might be able to have uh, possibly even a whole session on diversity, equity, and inclusion related research in the tax space. Because I think we've highlighted, and a lot of people have highlighted, how ripe the tax policy area is for discussing some of these issues, the effects that tax policy has on inequality and things that it can do to try to bridge that gap. Absolutely. And I think we're getting there. One fantastic thing we learned at the conference is that our section that Jerry was talking about, the tax section of the American Accounting Association has officially formed a standing committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I definitely think that we are acknowledging that we have a lot to learn, and I'm hoping that we're taking some steps to educate ourselves. As they say, knowing is half the battle. (laughs) The more you know. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here in person, not only with my co-host B, but also with our good friend, colleague, and mentor, Dr. Jerry Seidman. How was it? You guys aren't quite as scary as I thought you would be. Says the woman who coached us through four years of a PhD program. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to peek behind the scenes and uh, see how all the magic is made. The pleasure was all ours. It was. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomberg. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.